This is what it used to look like right here. Oh, we're, just, uh, we're just, um, for the listeners, we're being shown a picture of what the boulevard used to look like. And it looked like a, a neon sex delight. Yeah. A box of neon sex delights. There is a guy walking past now somewhere going, I can't believe the fucking gentrification of that place. <laughs> used to love it when it was a dirty old seedy hole. I remember when it had the personal appearances of the world's greatest names in striptease. <laughs> and now And now it's just birds talking about feminism. <laughs> With their clothes on. <laughs> now that is a cold opening and a half, isn't it? <laughs> If you want to see the picture we're talking about, the Neon Box of Joys, you can go over to the Freelance Pod Instagram account at FreelancePod and in an album about this episode, you'll find uh, two pictures. One uh, one from the old days of the Raymond Review Bar and a current picture of the Boulevard Theatre. And uh, the comparison is a reflection of how Soho has changed in the last few decades. It's really worth having a look. But who are those three voices that you just heard from? Well, they are the women of the Standard Issue podcast. You heard Hannah Dunleavy, Jen Offord, Mickey Noonan. And uh, Freelance Pod was recording in Standard Issue at the end of last week at the Boulevard Theatre because we both have live shows there in November. You can go and see Standard Issue's live show on Sunday the 10th of November and they've got a Women in TV themed special for you. The next week, you can come and see Freelance Pod at the Theatre. That'll be Sunday the 17th of November. And we've got a internet and science and publishing and writing themed episode for you. You can hear a bit more from my guest for that, Gemma Milne, a science and tech writer, a bit later on this podcast. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Chandrika Chakrabarti and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod tells stories about creativity and the digital revolution. I've been a journalist for 13 years now and a podcaster for nearly two, so I've seen a lot of the changes that digital has brought to the media. I've also trained a lot of people on how to deal with all these changes. I'm now freelance and juggle a number of jobs myself, writing for different audiences, making audio, teaching, speaking, presenting. It's a classic portfolio digital career. On each episode of this podcast, I ask a person who works in a creative field to tell me about how the internet has transformed or invented their job. From Twitter's director of curation to Ed Miliband's podcast producer, along with a few appearances from some guy called Charlie Brooker, we've been hearing brilliant stories about how the internet has revolutionised work and, well, our lives. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts and why not tell a friend too? This helps our community grow and that enables me to keep making Freelance Pod. You can also sign up for the Freelance Pod newsletter, which comes out every time there's a new episode, which is about every week. You can find the newsletter at sachandrika.substack.com. Sachandrika is spelt S U C H A N D R I K A. So that's sachandrika.substack.com. The podcast is also on social, of course, and I do love hearing from you, so feel free to get in touch. You can find it on Twitter at freelance underscore pod underscore. It's on Instagram at freelance pod, all one word. There's also a Facebook group. Just search for freelance pod. The podcast isn't officially on LinkedIn, but you can find me on there too. I'm Sachandrika Chakrabarti, and I do share all that juicy freelance pod content on there. So an introduction to Gemma Milne, who'll be the guest for Freelance Pod's next live show. Gemma is a science writer, writing for publications like The Times and Forbes and all sorts. 
And she's also got a book coming out in April 2020. It's called Smoke and Mirrors. And it's about the hype around science and technology reporting online and how the internet can really amplify that. So we'll be talking about everything from the subjects she writes about to freelancing to what it takes to publish a book because Gemma is making a YouTube series to help authors find their way through pitching and getting an agent for their non-fiction book. So that's really helpful. And uh, yeah, here's our conversation and uh, you know a little insight into how the show will be. So enjoy. I'm Joe Milne. I'm a science technology writer, podcaster, author, consultant, advisor. I have quite a lot of job titles. So your book, which is called Smoke and Mirrors, and it's out next April, April 2020. You started a YouTube series where you're helping other people work through that whole process of how do you pitch a book, find yes. an agent. Can you tell us a bit more about that series? Yeah, so it's basically just a, a couple of episodes on how to write a book, how to get it published, how to find an agent. And frankly, all I'm doing is just talking about how I did it. I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert on how to get books published because I've just done one. Um, it's essentially me just sharing my journey. And a lot of that is because when I was at the early stages of thinking about it, there just I didn't think there was very much information, particularly for um, nonfiction writers. And so we're going to dissect some really well-known but wrong ideas about science like the robots are going to take our jobs <laughs> and vaccinations are bad and uh, what are some of the other ridiculous ones we might well be taking down yeah oh god i mean there's so many narratives that are just uh, thrown around like i mean we're going to cure we're going to beat cancer as the sort of war narrative of cancer is really problematic uh, in my opinion um yeah robots are going to steal our jobs or uh, i don't know terminators coming or th- these kind of things that we all kind of if you read you know a science outlet or a tech outlet you kind of expect to see um but i you know this book i've just written is all about nuance and how you how you spot hype how you work around hype if you don't have a phd um and why hype can sometimes be really dangerous too so you go that was Gemma milne and you can hear lots more from her on sunday the 17th of november at the boulevard theater so if you're interested to find out more details or to buy tickets for just 12 pounds go to the boulevard theater website and click away so now let's hear from the Standard Issue podcast. I've got to say, first of all, a really big thank you to a programmer at the Boulevard Theatre, Emma Groom, for finding us this really delightful space to record in at very short notice. So yes, we are sat on a landing at the Boulevard Theatre between um, a toilet, a lift and a rehearsal going on in the main theatre. I feel if you're recording a podcast in Soho, you need a bit of atmosphere in the background. So it was a really fun space to record in. Shall I do my comedy routine again? Oh, I like to... Hi, it's, um, hi, this is Hannah Dunleavy. I am one quarter of the Standard Issue team. It's Jen Offord, and I am also one quarter of the Standard Issue team. And hello, I'm Mickey Noonan, and I am two quarters of the Standard Issue yeah. podcast team. I got a bigger laugh the first time. <laughs> um, and the other quarter of our podcast team is Sarah Milliken. She's not here right now. Who, where is she? Nobody um, knows. No one knows. She's an enigma. So how did you guys meet? Well, we were all raised by wolves. Uh, um, <laughs> the same wolf. The same wolf. Yeah, yeah we're sisters. Didn't that, we never mentioned that before? That no, we're sisters. Weird. That's weird. So we were put together, basically. A cracked. We're like the 18. We were both trying to steal some, both, all three of us were trying to steal some diamonds. <laughs> um, when Sarah started Standard Issue, she asked, uh, as a magazine, she asked me to be editor. And for a while, it was just me in my back room crying, wondering why I'd said yes. 
And then I said I could do some help, and I needed a deputy editor, and I wanted her to be a journalist. And Hannah had written something that I really loved, and I really liked all the emails, so I asked if it could be Hannah. And Hannah came on board, and then I think it was a year or so later, Jen started writing for us. And so then when we became a podcast, that was the team that Sarah put together. Do you remember what the article was about? You found Hannah through. Oh, yeah, she wrote a legal guide. Yeah. Well, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't an article for us so much. It was because for the we, writers, for the writers we, we were employing a lot of people who'd never written anything before, you know, comedians. Um, who may, Okay, that's not necessarily true. They had written things before, but they perhaps hadn't written anything that was going to be uh, published outside of, like, uh, a blog space or something. So I thought, oh, God, I can see a couple of issues here. Because I used to do comedy and I used to say things that were probably defamation. And I used to probably be in contempt of court, but that doesn't matter when you say on stage. And then you really. met media lawyers, and yeah. you thought, I'd never say anything in public again. Yeah, and I just thought, you know, maybe they need a bit of a nudge. I tried to write it in an entertaining fashion, so it didn't seem dry. Media can be quite entertaining. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite, it is quite easy because you just... It's you mistakes a journalist to make. I mean, we actually had a, had a piece in our podcast. We got um, the excellent Dr. Holly... How Jones yes. in to explain to people, you know, this is how you don't use a picture of the wrong H when you're talking about uh, the wrong Ian Watkins, uh, when it, which t- and they use H from steps. So yeah, I mean that's not a funny story um, for him, but you know, in a, <laughs> everyone it's, it's quite a funny story. So yeah, if you if you focus on those things, people are interested, and then they take the law in. So, and basically, anyway, that's what I wrote. Hannah's talking about libel. Well, I swooned. <laughs> I must meet this woman. Yeah. Who is she? Yeah. I have to work with her. And Jen was recommended to us actually by Carrie Ann Lloyd. Carrie had done a bit of writing for us and she said, my mate is writing a brilliant blog about sport and I think she'd be really good for standard issue. So Jen and I had a letter on email and she started writing for us and very quickly became our sports correspondent. And then foots off and said, are we allowed to swear? Yes. Okay, good. Thanks. And then fucked off and cycled around America and sort of wrote and kept us updated on what she was doing there. The state of above. Yeah. Undercarriage thing for which has different connotations, and I mean it too. You're a so. mysterious mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a there's a a way in which people speak about stuff. Um, like say women's hour, for example. Um, people who don't listen to women's hour and create an idea of what they think women's hour is. And you'll get a lot of it as people will be really sort of like, it happens to mums there a bit as well. You know, anywhere that women gather is like, oh, it's just them talking about, just them prattling on about periods. Mm. And, and you're like, sometimes it is, but you know, hey, there's a shitload to talk about. The, the word gossip, which is used very pejoratively about women. Men gossip. Yeah. Oh my God. But it's, it's never, it's seen very much as something that women do and very easily dismissed. When actually it's women talking about stuff that's relevant to us. Do you know what also the term bitchy, which obviously is meant for women because bitch. Yeah. I used to freelance at this place where like the men were like so much, like they were like absolutely vile the way they spoke about like other people and in a really like quote unquote bitchy way. Way worse than I've ever heard like any group of women talk about. I mean, that's going on. Yeah, no, but it's 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 seeing it's women point, it's seeing yeah. women as a genre, yes, seeing, exactly. as opposed to exactly. more than half of the population, fifty one percent of the population, and also a paper that 
prides itself. It's got a female editor, Catherine Viano, who does a lot of good stuff. But The Guardian, where you will find the women's section, is in the lifestyle section. Yeah. Like, it's where you'll also go to look at sofas. And there we are, like, important issues for women that are still buried because they're not seen as big news. And 52% is enough to take into the country through hell for three years. So we're 1% of running <laughs> this whole show. But yeah, I mean, really, I feel like standard issues saying, like, we are just, we are standard. We're, we're just as a default as men are. Um, I think you put a lot more thought into the title. <laughs> we just really like the name. But yeah, also, yeah, we, we do come as standard. But I, I'm loving your theory. Yeah. I'm lo- I'm, yes, exactly. Yes, yes that's, that's the title. Pin that down. Pin the tail on that donkey. And we just wanted something that, yeah, wasn't like, you know, ooh, flowers in PMS. Uh, <laughs> lady time. Lady time. Oh, I wanted to call it ladies. Did you? No, of course, of course did. I didn't. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> Don't uh, constant moon time. No, we did want something that was fairly generic. And we did, when we were a magazine, our readership was 73% women and 27% men. And we've never like said anything other than we are for women, but men are welcome to read too. Yeah. Uh, Mick and I have been here before, and uh, we, we, I was just telling Jen about the first time that we came here when it was, it was still a largely a building site. And uh, Emma said, um, why don't we meet you under the glass walkway? And we were like, okay. And what she did point out was the glass walkway was next to the sex shop that's selling all the uh, Agra. Selling some Viagra and then some other things that we don't even know what it is. Um, What's Viagra? I don't know. Is it to keep your camera tripod stiff? Yeah, (laughs) maybe. I don't know. I think it's great that like what used to be a sex theatre is now hosting the arts, which are very sexy. I actually started my journalism career working for Ladsmax. I started off working for a magazine called Later, which was Builders Loaded's older brother. And then I worked for Maxim at HM, Marine, all of them. I was Maxim's sexpert for nine months. They said that my copy wasn't belt loosening enough. They wanted them running for the toilets. And I was like, I'm going to stop writing. Stop writing. Is it said with a whole cheeky, like, oh no, no. It was, I worked with some brilliant, brilliant people, but it was incredibly sexist and I was one of only two women writing on later and when I went for the, st- the staff writer job my boss at the time who had given me loads of stuff I'd had cover stories went but you're a girl to little 22 year old me running for the toilet yeah to, um, to have a for a while yeah make them piss Mickey make them piss I needed to this is why we don't want any kind of stories were the only other women apart from two writers coming in usually women who came in to photograph various stages I've got to say that was really interesting as a a young woman not at all confident about her looks and it was basically one of two ways you could go you could kind of glam up and be a woman in the office or I just was like no makeup like toxic bottoms but like loose jeans just was one of lads I suppose to try to fit in but yeah the, the amount of air, airbrushing that you saw the amount of photoshopping that you saw was actually kind of reassuring that that's where I learned that people don't actually look like that yeah um so that was interesting and the other woman who worked on that magazine with me is now an incredibly successful journalist she's editor-in-chief of Empire magazine the brilliant Terry White so it's a very good starting base for brilliant women journalists, oddly. Um, but yeah, there was definitely that underlying sexism of lads mags. 
And I wanted to work for Lads Max because women's max to me were even more sexist. Lads Max wore it on their sleeves. It is like, they, but they tell their readers that they can have the woman on the full cover, that they can get the job they want, that they can do everything they want to do, that they can be like their own hero. Whereas women's minds are always like, how to get the man, how to please man, how to get the oh, fuck off, what about me? How to change yourself entirely. Oh, yeah, or you can, reason your shit. You can have all these things as long as you change yourself yeah. entirely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. This is what it used to look like right here. Oh, we're, just, uh, we're just, um, for the listen, we're being shown a picture of what the boulevard used to look like. And it looked like a, a neon sex delight. Oh, yeah. A box of neon sex delights. There is a guy walking past now somewhere going, I can't believe the fucking gentrification of that place. <laughs> used to love it when it was a dirty old CD hole. I remember when it had the personal appearances of the world's greatest names in striptease. <laughs> and now, well, and now it's just birds talking about feminism. <laughs> <laughs> With their clothes on. <laughs> when was your first live show? No, no, no it's it's like around. Around. Oh. We did live shows while we were at a magazine. Just to sort of publicise the magazine, the first one was at Harrogate Theatre. Mainly because I worked there at the time. I was doing some press at Harrogate Theatre. We wanted to make some crash, get the word out about the magazine, and it was quite the lineup. We had Sarah, Bridget Christie, Catherine Ryan, and Susan Kalman. And it was it was huge. great. That was huge. And it did really well. And so Sarah was very excited to one have like it was such a success. Two good for the magazine. And three to be on stage with three women. She really enjoyed that. So we did a few more. Um, we did, we did like 12 before. Yeah, before we became a podcast. Yeah, so we actually went the other way around. And then it was like, okay, what else can we do that's audio? But I suppose that kind of created the idea that we were already making a podcast, even though at the point we decided to make a podcast, we literally had no freaking idea what we were doing. Oh my God, do you remember when we first got on the run? So we were just like pressing buttons and yeah. nothing exploded. Um, so... We were a magazine for two and a bit years and then it just just was losing money because we promised that we would never take advertising that would make women feel shit or make them feel like they had to correct themselves, which means we didn't get enough advertising to continue. So the decision was made wisely to cut our cloth accordingly. And Sarah's a big podcast fan and she said, I think it would be a really, really good podcast, like a magazine-style podcast. Do what you do with the, the, the internet version for ears. So that's how we fill ourselves as mm-hmm. magazine careers, but it was a pretty steep learning curve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not just because, I mean, having been a journalist for years and sat and listened back to interviews that I'd done and hated the sound of my own voice, Seconded. hated literally every single thing about it. I stopped recording, so, would only ever use shorthand because I hated transcribing. But then for the sound of my voice to actually be the end product, that was a bit... Weird to come to terms with. Well, I think, you know, no one likes the sound of their own voice today. I think it's always because it sounds different to how it sounds in your head. Yeah. So, like, I think everyone feels a bit uncomfortable when they hear their own voice. But I mean, turns out I can't really say my S's, can you? I can't really say my R's. As well as, like, I thought I did. (laughs) Turns out none of us can enunciate. Yeah. But, um, just kind of. Well, you said you've never really got used to it. I still, I'm sort of used to it when it's, I guess I am used to it, yeah. but it definitely took quite a while. Definitely took quite a while. And again, having come from print journalism to 
audio journalism to broadcast, it's very different in the way you approach interviews. So I've no doubt that I'm good at like getting stuff out of people. It's what I've done for twenty odd years on a professional level. Um, but doing that in an order, so you go into you can ask wasted questions in a print interview because you're just getting them to warm up. Yeah, you have to go in warm with an audio interview, and that that was something that just took a little while to learn. Yeah, and also you. I mean, it makes it sound like you're manipulative, but you're not. But, you know, sometimes you tell a story because you know they're going to tell you a story back and then you just cut your story out because you're not the point of it. And it's not dishonest because they have told the story, but it doesn't necessarily in audio work because you, you have to segue from something to something. You can't just, I mean, in, in proper cheating fashion, sometimes you just put three stars and, and in a feature and drop down and start a whole new thing. Yeah. So you kind of have to leave stuff like that in. So... You have to be sort of careful that what you say is, A, interesting enough that, you know, a listener's going to have to listen to it, but also, you know, actually watch what you say and redact all of the stuff that's like, you probably shouldn't say like, oh, my fucking next door neighbour or whatever that you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to cut that out just in case they listen to it. If there's a way you want to lead them into saying a story you know they have, you have to put all of that at the top before you then finish with the question. Rather than, I guess, in a print interview, you go, so how do you feel about so-and-so? Because this, this, and this. Yeah. But you need to swap that around. So, yeah, it's been super fascinating having to tweak the knowledge I already had to fit a different medium has been really, really interesting. And editing, because, you know, you can change the 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 order that words are in in a written sentence with no repercussions whatsoever. But you cannot do that with people's intonation. And it, it's, yes. it's just right, right. Yeah. So even just like when you cut something, you go, okay, I can lose that bit. If by the time you want to bring them back in, the, the mood has dropped or it's a more serious question. It yeah. is so noticeable that sometimes, and I guess we've got a bit more space than you would with print, but you just leave a bit in so that it, it feels smoother. One of the things about podcasting is... You know, there are um, podcasts out there done by non-journalists who I think, you know, if you wanted a different career, um, uh, Craig Parkinson's Two Shot Pod, he gets great answers out of people. He's, he's a wonderful and he, he would make a really good journalist if his acting career fell down. So I think, you know, and that doesn't, everybody has more than one skill set. So, I, I mean, podcasting in that way gets people to exercise a muscle they kind of didn't already know they had. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, Interviewing is a skill, but I think that some people actually just have it in, intuitively. Is that the word? Yeah. Okay, yeah, or instinctively are just maybe more empathetic people. Um, I think the, the key thing when I've taught journalism to kids and various things, I always say, what do you think the most important thing about journalism is? And they'll be like, writing, the way you write. And I'm like, ah, it's people. You've got to be interested in people. Yeah. And then the second one is listening. I mean, yeah. an interview is basically a decent conversation. It's a curiosity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you've got you've got to have that interest. You've yeah. got to want to know about something. I think it's how you make people feel as well. So mm-hmm. I tell people now, sexy. You've got to make them feel sexy. <laughs> I used to be a civil servant. I worked in like in environmental policy basically for like nine years. And uh, towards the end of that, I started writing a blog about the stupid thing I was doing. Uh, basically, during the Olympics, I decided I was going to try every Olympic sport and write a blog about it. When I was younger, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a journalist, but I'd just gone down a different path, basically.
basically. So I guess I had like some of the things, some of the characteristics that maybe you would would be good, I don't know, whatever, but like not making any sense. But that blog is classic stunt journalism though, it's perfect. Yeah. It'd be great for a magazine feature. Well it's so yeah, so it did it did alright. Well it didn't like go nuts or anything, but there were a few like newspaper articles about it. I did like Sky News you and met Boris got, Johnson. And then Boris Johnson there's a wonderful <laughs> video of me looking really um, uncomfortable next to <laughs> Boris Johnson on the internet. So basically I did that and then uh, and I got a, a literary agent off the back of it um, and so I was a bit like, oh, well, this is going pretty well. I think I might, you know. I had an opportunity basically to leave the civil service with a bit of money. So I took it and uh, I was writing a couple of, like, I was writing for Standard Issue for a bit. I was writing for another place, the Offside Rule podcast, which is a women's podcast about football. Um, I was doing a few, like, bits and bobs and, yeah, like, trying to make it work and... Yeah, that's it basically. And then I eventually started getting a bit of paid work, and and then sort of got involved with Standard Issue more and more. Why introduce you to Nick Miller? Yeah, introduce you to some people who needed sports writers that weren't men. Yeah, it like it. I think in that situation, being a woman was actually a massive advantage. Fillet. Well, that was it. I remember you sent me an email just going, "Okay, I want to do this full time. How do I make this work, Nick?" And I went. Gergeloids, but you've got this USB of a woman talking about sport, and at the moment you need to rinse that. Mm. And it was, yeah, I think I think a lot of places were just like, all right, you're a woman, great, fine, we'll give you a shift just because you're a woman and there are no women here doing this. Um, frankly, apparently that looks bad. <laughs> Before I started doing this, well, I always used to retweet things like that. I hadn't read. Yeah, hadn't read. And they were like, because I was a dick. <laughs> But what changed, actually, was that time when I wrote that thing about the Women's World Cup and it kicked off on oh, the yeah, Standard yeah. Issue Twitter. Yeah. Um, and people hadn't read your And people content. hadn't read it. And, it. and I kept going like, all right, have you read it? And they go, no. I said, maybe give it a read then. And they go, oh, it's quite good, actually. You're like, mm. But you're not now going to tweet again and say, oh, actually, she's not a dick. So what was the best about then and what made people kind of jump? It was like a day. joke, basically. So there was a... Uh, there, so it was the Women's World Cup in 2015 in Canada, and uh, there I think it was like Eamon Holmes or someone, probably saying something illegal now. It was on some morning TV thing, like basically people started getting interested around the point that they were like, oh, they might win this. Anyway, so there was someone on the on like a Good Morning Whatever show that had a sign that said, come on our girls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Which I was like, that's yeah. really It's one appropriate for our setting. Yeah, so I think the tweet and was something like... And an interesting punctuation lesson in itself. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you don't spell it like that, it's with a U. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they, uh, so... G-U-R-L-S. <laughs> so the tweet was, Jen Offord wants you to come on, on our girls, girls, or something like that, which was a joke about, like, blah, blah, blah. But everyone's just like, oh, my God. So disrespectful. Oh, whatever. It's like, literally, if you read it, like, the whole thing is about... Like supporting women's football. Yeah. yeah. Also, if you've ever read anything in our publication yeah. ever before, we champion women. That is why we exist. Yeah. Oh no, I think it was. Yeah. So I think I called it "Get Behind Our Girls" because I thought that was quite a funny pun, right? Yeah, yeah. In the context of this stupid thing. Yeah. But the tweet was like, "Jen says, come on, our girls," and and every yeah. Get behind our girls. Yeah. 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 You yeah. may as well just write a, a tweet that just says, "I'm on Twitter." 
Yeah. So that's, that's basically what we're saying. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm here. Really quite woke. Yeah. But um, it's, it's crazy that, like, I mean, I've only been on Twitter since 2013. So that's six years. And within six years, I literally can't remember the world before it. I actually have to, because we were just talking about, like, I, c- I can remember when September the 11th happened, I was working in a newspaper office. And we were all gathered around watching it on the television, like happens on TV programs. Yeah. It was just a newsroom full of people watching it on TV. Because we had one computer that had the internet. In a whole newspaper office, one computer had the internet. And the internet was so goddamn slow because everyone was there going, just happened. So I actually forget that it wasn't always there. I actually have to try and make a mental note when I'm telling stories that I think, that can't have been right. I can't have used a mobile phone to ring them. Or I couldn't have checked it with the internet because it wasn't there. It wasn't a thing. Writing a sidebar. Like the number of times I'd say to a journalist, can, like a young reporter, can I have a sidebar on that? And they'd like raise your eyes. You'd be like, you got Wikipedia, dude. We used to have to go to a library to write a sidebar. And I started on later. And so as, as the absolute junior, yeah. like the baby journalist, I wrote all the sideboxes. Mm. I did people's transcription, worst job ever. Um, and I would write a lot of sideboxes and then occasionally get thrown a feature because that's yeah. how it worked. And I would have to go to a library and look stuff up, stuff yeah. up on microfiche. Just, and it was quite exciting. And then we got the internet and I was the go-to in the office for the only fuck who could use Google. <laughs> I understand this. <laughs> I don't need to ask Jeeves anymore. <laughs> in a box. But I think back then you actually had to be quite inventive with how mm. inventive slash prescriptive with what you put into the search yeah. bar. Because no one was thinking about how do I make this come up in a search bar. I think you used to have to well, spell yeah. it right as well. Yeah. You had to time correctly. Yeah. Sorry, we've gone off on one. Yeah. No, this is exactly the theme of the podcast. <laughs> the old days. In the old days. In the old days. When I was a young woman. Which were only 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. There's been no other 20-year period in history where things have changed like that. Industrial Revolution. But that's it. Oh, that's it. Google, yeah. And the printing. The printing press, the yeah. Industrial Revolution. Yeah. And even then, because most of the population wasn't literate, it affected clocks and monks. Mm. And then it filters down to the rest. But this yeah. is all of us are literate, which is yeah. But I mean, it has changed journalism completely. Yeah. And I was really depressed by how it was going to change journalism when I thought about it from that side of it. When I could see the future or couldn't, what I thought the future might be, I found it quite depressing. In a lot of ways, a lot of the things that we were really worried about have been proved right. And I think that's well, what was me. Well, I mean, the, the quality. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, just. I mean, something. I, I was a chief sub for a long time, yes, and subbing age of which you to live. Yeah, and so so subbing is you know ridiculous, um, and stuff gets written straight to the page. But I don't know if people care about it so much. To be honest, I actually genuinely think that people are depressed at how little people care. So quality has definitely fallen. But I think also the um, and the great example is what's happening now. In literally now in journalism, is people are so keen to have our story that whether or not that story is is either true or they can stand it up, or, or even whether that story is actually the story you should be following, which is like the classic. I'm so glad that Peter Oberon wrote that piece because I nearly lost my mind about a month ago on Twitter about um, uh, anonymous sources, and a lot of people quote it a lot of like. I'm talking about like Laura Kunzberg, Robert Pest, and people like that. The Times quoting anonymous number ten sources in the bit to be the first in the bit to be Twitter, just yeah. just have something to say, yeah. just to be creating something. And yeah, at the same point, not questioning a whether that's actually 
that true or whether you should be putting in the public domain, even if it is true. B, whether or not there's not another story. I mean, the other story is, what the fuck does it say in the withdrawal agreement? And that, that's what I'd rather be reading about than what Boris is threatening to do with this, that or the other. So I think that kind of... I mean, whether or not that would have happened even if Twitter didn't exist, because it's kind of the rolling 24-hour news cycle that created that, that idea of just, we've got to fill it with something. Mm-hmm. Just fill it, fill it, fill it. I mean, I can see the point of the 24-hour news cycle when you're sitting watching Notre Dame burn down, because you're like, hey, this is kind of like a moment, and everyone's sitting watching it on, on television. But at other times, it's just... Let's just get, let's just trawl through Twitter and see what people are saying, and you're like, "Hey, news! That really isn't news." But even from a non-news perspective, there are some publications that I think are like genuinely like good publications, but the stuff that they put online is just bollocks. Because they need to fill that. Yeah, space. yeah. But yeah. then you're kind of like, "What is the point of this shit existing for the sake of existing? Like, what clicks? Yeah, but it's clicks so enough. depressing. But it's so good themselves. We're not going to name names, but we're talking about the same thing. We are, but yeah. it's, so they can sell the advertising yeah. in their print one, which is where that is the mental thing. Print is still the place where journalism makes money, even though very few people are buying print publications anymore. But advertisers want to see their adverts mm. in full glossy colour. They want to be in that prime position in a newspaper, even though everyone's reading something online. So it goes hand in hand, and so their advertisers now also need to be sold you'll get this many clicks online, mm. therefore they have to create content. But that isn't even fucking content, it's just nonsense. It's literally like, here's 10 shoes. Like, it, yeah. and you're just like, well, I then, can't... The, and then they do it in the gallery so that yeah. each one's a new click. Yeah. It's so it's so manipulative. Yeah. Um, but also people's attention span is so much shorter these days. When we started Standard Issue online as a magazine, I still put word limits on stuff. I was still like, this should be this, and we would decide how many words you'd get, they'd have a slightly longer read or you'd have a quick read. And a couple of journalists, and they were actually journalists, massively overwrote, were like, well, it's not even a space issue. I'm like, no, but it's an attention span issue. No one's going to read to the end of your lovely piece. So we'll cut this bit in the middle, and then people are going to really appreciate the big gag at the end. They're going to get it. It is, I mean, it's the advice I've given to baby journalists since the beginning of time, which is, all of these five adjectives are lovely, because they can't all go in, it's too busy. And what are they reading on a smart like, phone? It's too yeah. easy. Yeah. It's just that I can't actually, I mean, I can, but I don't, because my eyesight is so bad. Jane can't I, actually read. I can't read. Uh, no, I find it really difficult to read anything at length on a screen, mm-hmm. on a mobile phone screen. It's just my eyes just aren't made for it, do you know what I mean? And I think that, you know, I can't be the only one. No, I think no, 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 absolutely not. Screens are harder to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's where we're getting most of our information. Well, Hannah and I are both from a comedy background. I didn't know so that. when I worked at Metro, well, when I worked at the Last Months, I did all of the comedy interviews because comedy was very much seen as as filler. And when I worked at Metro, um, I was the arts editor for the Yorkshire edition, and I was the comedy editor across the UK and part outside London. They had their own in London, and I go up to the Edinburgh Festival for a couple of weeks every year. Do comedy. That's how I met Sarah. So comedy was always important. Comedy is also a lens that we look at the world through. I think that's how we get through stuff. And by there's two different thoughts here. By engaging people and making them laugh, you can actually feed them information that's important and might make them think as well. Mm. Although Sarah Pascoe, and I think she's got a massive point here, 
is often argued that actually by laughter, they think they've done their thing. They think they've actually engaged with it and then they go and go, well, I did my bit. Mm. I went along and listened as opposed to becoming active. Yeah. But yeah, I think it definitely can get a message home. So why wouldn't we use it? And Hannah used to do stand-up. Yeah. So Sarah picked us because she knew us from the comedy circuit. So it wasn't a necessarily a choice that we made for standard issue it was just more yeah that's how it is that's how we are yeah and a lot of other people that Sarah knew obviously wanted to get involved were comedians were comedians so yeah it was a storytelling aspect maybe do you think that's what glues them together a lot of it is also that um so what you got I mean I'm speaking for you I obviously wasn't there at the start but I fascinated think, what am I going to say well, uh, I think a big part of it as well what Sarah was trying to do was she was trying to give an alternative view of women yeah. to the way they are or I think as she put it like the narrow definition in sort of mainstream media or whatever mm-hmm. and I think with the female comedians that got on board obviously they're in a sort of industry that is so 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 male dominated for a lot of them, it was probably quite a nice opportunity to be like, oh, cool, like, you know. This is for me. Yeah, this is for me. This is my audience. It's also a really good way to connect with a new audience that maybe didn't know about me before. Jen articulated yeah. me perfectly. Thanks, Jen. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, well, I also, I, well, and this is just speaking for myself, I don't <laughs> generally take things seriously unless they're really, really serious. And even then, I think that there's ultimately things to be laughed at so yeah I mean I don't know that we've deliberately gone out we, for a long while we put ourselves in the comedy section mm. and, uh, and then we moved because at the same point we kind of walk a very fine line at the same point if you're selling yourself as comedy but you're putting out an hour and a half documentary on Margaret Thatcher or the repeal the eighth thing people are going to be like hang on isn't that news and you know, yes, it is news. So we kind of, I think now we're in, we're in news now. Society. Like, we also do a lot of arts as well, don't we? We yeah. do a lot of theatre, we do a lot of books, we do a lot of um, TV, things like that. So it's, yeah, it's not like, um, not. So it's categories that quite work, they are quite blurred, a bit like yeah. our jobs are blurred and skills we have. I have to say, I don't, know, I don't know that that's necessarily, I mean, if you're thinking of going into podcasting, um, in a lot of ways, I think the fact that we are unpigeonholeable has actually held us back. Yeah, we're a bit mm-hmm. of a curious egg, I think. Uh, because we don't... People love boxes. This is yeah. the second time I've said this today. People love a box and we don't fit in any box. Uh, t- t- take, for example, the uh, British Podcast Awards, which has a lot of categories, all of which we could go into and none of which we could go into at the same time. Yes, we could go in as an interview podcast because we do interviews. We don't do hour and a half long interviews, so are we able to compete with Briefcast or something like that? Probably not. But at the same point, we do interviews, so we should probably be in there. So I think in a lot of ways, we we don't. When people do a, hey, these are the best tech ones, these are the best sport ones, these are the best ever ones. We're not in any we're of them. We're not. We're not 100 anything. So women, yeah, we're the best women. That's the only category we kind of like. Oh, yeah. Hey, we've got them. They're definitely women. Yeah. Put them in there. Put yeah. them in there. We did make a, we did make a couple of Yeah, yeah, because they're women. They're women. Yeah. Still women. But there's quite a lot of women. Yeah, there's loads of women. Full of women. Yeah. 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 What what do you listen to then? Do you listen to podcasts yourself? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I have to say I didn't really before, um, 
before we started doing the podcast. Same. Which was one of the, like, although to be honest, you know, that's generally me all over. I didn't get properly trained before I was a journalist. I got a job and then got trained. I didn't do a comedy course before I decided to do stand-up. Um, so we didn't listen that much. Yeah, I mean, I... Oh, I'd say you listen to more than me, Jenna. Um, I really like Ty Parkinson's Two Shot Podcast. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, I like Rule of Three. I yes. That's three. I absolutely love Romaniacs. I think they're really... They make what's really quite depressing news seem very, very funny a lot of the time. I mean, that's a podcast that wouldn't sit in, in um, comedy, but it, my predominant emotion that I have while listening to it is, ah! so, um, yeah. That's not an emotion, that's a noise. But they're all, they're all men's podcasts, so maybe I should pick up some of Drunk women's, great. Yeah, Drunk women's, Simon and Prime are really good. I like that. I am, I am a dipper. Yeah, Given that we too. put out yeah. a weekly podcast, I remain a dipper. And Susie. since I moved to London, else is talking. Since I moved to London, and I'm not travelling as much, it's definitely gone down. I dip in and out again. Yeah, no, I dip in and out of them as well. I have a few that I sort of regularly dip in and out of, which are Griefcast. I mean, partly because Carrie, as my mate, has discussed, but also it's really good, which she does. Yeah, and I think it's important as yeah. well, you know. Um, and Hannah and I have both been on it as well, constantly. Yeah. But. Um, but also, just wait for someone to die and carry on. There you go, just wait for someone yeah. to die. Adam Buxton is always yeah. like great. Chris Morris, I've listened to both of them. They're really good. I've got a lot of car journey on Saturday. Yeah, you've got a train journey. Susie Gage's uh, Say Why She Drugs is really, really good. Dr. Susie Gage, Say Why She Drugs. Same uh, point to draw. Yeah. Never heard of that. It's really no, good. She's part of the Scrooby's Pit Network. It's not called that, but that's what we But he, yes, he has, he's a big figure in podcasts. Yes, yeah. He's yeah. lovely the Scrooge. I would also like to shout out, um, I talk, every time we talk about Pokemon, uh, Julia Rayside's Always There podcast, which is about, it's about How's Way, and, uh, which I never watched because I was very little when it was on. <laughs> But um, but it's fucking brilliant. It's like it's one of the funniest things. Like it's absolutely, it's a delight. I recommend it to anyone. One that I that I do listen to regularly is uh, John Roberts and Ellis James. But obviously they're, they're men's as well. But Sarah Morgan's The Fear that's really good. There's loads of great mm-hmm. stuff, and I think it is almost a bit uh, option paralysis. And so I. I don't. And also, when you're audio editing a lot of the time, which is what we do, sometimes I don't want anything in my ears. I, I don't even listen to as much music as I used to. I'm just like, oh, let's have some quiet. Let's have some quiet time with the cat. I tell you what's quite in, quite interesting though is that, and I don't know, it's kind of my attitude to most things. So um, maybe don't take me too seriously. But the kind of already in a short period, podcasting has gone from this kind of relatively like. I don't want to say gorilla, but you know, I mean, thing that was happening in people's back bedrooms to this BBC Sounds official mm. thing. We're somewhere in the middle. And I actually think that, yeah, well, yeah we're all somewhere I'm in the middle. I'm pretty sure that in the, in the BBC they always record by a disabled toilet. I always <laughs> think, um, I just think that sometimes the BBC should stay in its lane a bit with, with stuff like that because, you know, here's a great example. Like the, um, the Brexit cast uh, podcast, which is all of their political reporters sitting around having a chinwag. I just don't think it adds particularly much to the debate, but it probably stops people listening to a lot of other good 
politics podcasts that are out there being done by different voices. So in a lot of ways, it adds unnecessary competition to that thing. I quite like the idea. I would always rather listen to an offbeat, maybe not great sound quality one to an official, um, you know, because there are other places I can watch and get those people's opinions, whereas there are other places you can get that podcast from. Well, from. just like radio shows, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's essentially, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I'll just listen to it on iPlayer if I feel like I've Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I've got to say, on a, on a radio um, point, it was interesting. So yesterday, when we were recording this, there was, there was the big news that Zoe Ball's Radio 2 um, breakfast show has lost 360,000 listeners. And I saw a very interesting point that someone made, which was, I wonder what, it, what response that would have got if the headline was, Zoe Ball's Radio 2 breakfast show is still the most listened to radio show in the country, yeah. which it is. And it's like, okay, they're judging that over 10 years. Chris Evans will have taken loads of his fans with him yeah. when he's gone back to Virgin. But also, a lot of people are now leaving radio to mm-hmm. listen to podcasts. Yeah. So she's got competition that wasn't that just did not exist ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And I like Zoe. I think she, you know, she's been on our show. She's great, and I think she gives great content. But that is a very hard audience to cater for. And no matter how well she does her job, she's a woman. She's going to get shit for it. And also, people used to have alarm clocks. So I have a radio alarm clock, right? Because I was trying to do this thing where I stopped my phone next to me in bed mm. so I would start reading again and that went by the wayside and now I just do that but I still have a radio alarm clock. But a lot of people just use their phones now, don't they? Yeah. So the time you would listen to the radio would be like in the morning. Also in the car. Yeah. And, and, and now you just plug your iPod into your... I mean, even my car that has a pretty shitty radio, I can still get my phone attached to it and therefore don't listen to the radio I will listen to something else while I'm driving. Just from a really London-centric point of view, I can't listen to live radio underground. Yeah. Can I? Um, probably like, not. I the Wi-Fi dips in and out, so I, I can't... So, like, I grew up in London, when I was a kid, I got school bus, so we had the radio on all the way, but as an adult, you think, oh, I want... She'll keep her habits, but I, I physically can't if I'm getting mm-hmm. Yeah, because if I'm listening to Spotify, then it's not something yeah, it's, that it's I've got, like, saved or whatever, it will get cuts out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I... So even if people form habits, like, doesn't mean they can carry them on. And it just feels to me they're like, so you all came in and she fucked her up. It's like, no, she didn't. Well, I mean, the whole context. So yeah. that's, that's the whole thing of skewing the news. Isn't yeah, it? So like, that's the story lots of people. And loads of people like, oh, called it when she was brought in. It's like, did you, mate? No. And it's like, and then you've got this long litany of male prime ministers and male broadcasters who have failed. Yeah. And yet they're like, oh, you know, if you got a cock and balls, just give them a shot because this going back in. I mean, you know, it's a shame there's no relevant immediate exact. Oh, wait, no, it's happening all the time. They're making such a good job of it. (laughs) Right? Look at it. The the country's never been more at peace, never been more united. So, yeah, I think it very much comes back to sexism, which is good because that's my (laughs) right. Not sexism, fighting it. Keep being sexist, please. Something always happens that will not translate to audio. Yeah. So Miranda did some yoga. Um, it's Miranda Hart. Yeah, sorry. She only has one name, though. Yeah. June Sarpong did some hula hooping. Did some tap dancing. Um, Katie, Tunstall. Katie Tunstall did some tap dancing. Um, the Scummy Mummies did the dirty dancing lift. There's always... Oh, on a stage. On stage. Yeah. Not in a swimming pool. No, that's the only time I tried it. 
Okay. Mm. <laughs> Does no one dies in the end? Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> no head injuries. No head injuries. Yeah, they survived. It was it was excellent. Um, so there's always something happening that will not translate to the audio. Also, the vibe's just really nice. And I, I'm yeah. not even going to apologise for using the word vibe because it applies here. I was going to say I think there's a real warmth to it that I think you get to a certain extent when you listen to the when you listen to the gig cast. But I do think there is. There's, yeah, the, the atmosphere is always really nice. It's a really nice warmth from the audience and the panel and like all of the guests like every time leave and say like what a lovely time they had and like what a nice crowd it was mm. and friendly it was and whatever. And I think, yeah, it comes across, but it's, it's different, isn't it? Yeah. We've all got like good stage faces as well. There's a lot of mugging mm. to the crowd that you're going to miss. Hannah and yeah. I just mugged at each other as we said that. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, we had, um, when we were in Edinburgh, not this year, last year, we had um, Sarah and I were on stage and we had a brilliant Louisa Romilin and all of that seems quite normal. And then we had Janine Garuffalo and Sue Pollard out on the same bill. And according to Jen, I just, and this isn't going to work on a podcast, uh, I just did this. Into the audience the whole way through. Big eyes, big listener. Her face was a gog. <laughs> That's the word for it. She was a gog, um, oh which I only saw through tears of laughter. Yeah. It was it's funny. We were like Mick and I were standing at the bar, doubled over, yeah, laughing as Hannah you? just stared at us wide-eyed, like what the fuck? I don't know what's happening. Whispered to her, "What is a Philip Schofield?" How do you explain? It was quite, I mean, to be honest. Off mic as well. Yeah. It, it was, the whole thing was just years of it. Crazy. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, we had the brilliant Hannah Gatsby, who arrived yeah. 10 minutes into the show because she was late and she did the most. Well, she, she quit like, comedy by that point. And she no, no, it was, it was the year yeah. of quitting comedy. But she was the most rock and roll entrance ever. She basically, so I was on stage with Sarah, Hannah was at the back, and she. Packed stand one. It was so hot in there and so packed. And she just said to Hannah, "Taxi meters running. Can you go and pay him, please?" And basically crowd surfed onto the stage. And we had to manhandle a woman handle it yeah. onto the, the tiny stool. <laughs> um, yeah, so that you, there will always be something that you're not going to appreciate on the audio version. Well, we went to see uh, Richard Herring's yeah. podcast <laughs> where that he had um, Richard E. Grant. We all love a bit of Richard E. Which Grant. has never been yeah. released, and that's the other thing. Yeah, and it wasn't. That, that's actually not the point I was going to make, but it's a very valuable point. Um, but uh, we went to the uh, toilet during the break, and it's the only occasion ever in my life where the queue in a theatre that the queue for the men's toilet was longer than the queue for the women's toilet. And I thought, yeah, this is just, this is just, these are his people. They have found themselves as a, 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 a as a gang. And there was a point at which somebody asked a Star Wars question and almost mm. everybody in the audience except us knew the answer to it. No, that's what you say. At the risk of sounding like a wanker, it, it, it's kind of like a safe space in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, people on stage don't have to worry about what they look like or whatever. That's one of the things that the boss always says that she loves about yeah. it. Yeah. We don't invite the press, so occasionally they turn up. But it's like... It's a really, like, nice kind of inclusive sort of atmosphere. With swearing. With swearing. With yeah. lots mm. of swearing. swearing. Yeah. And so there are general chats, there are usual gig caps. And what we're doing at Boulevard on November the 10th is actually a little bit different. Because while that kind of general chit-chat is great, it's nice to have a bit of focus. And 2019 has been really, really good for telly. 
in general, but really, really amazing, a bumpy year for TV by women and in particular. So we're having a TV special with, fingers crossed, just waiting for the big yes to announce, some really fucking awesome guests yes. who are brilliant women in television. And we're going to chat about that and about our favourite women characters in television, what still needs to be done, how they've got to where they've got to. It's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would swear it. It really, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, in, in our, I suppose, having done what we've done for the period since 2014, since we started doing this, there is, you know, an element of actually looking back and seeing improvement, which is something to be said for it. Yeah, totally. There are more women, certainly more women written comedies in 2019 than there was when I started reviewing TV in 1996 or whatever it is. But I think there's, there, there actually there's been change in the last five years, a lot of which is down to, a, I have to say, a, a certain amount of people. I mean, Sharon Hall, a huge talent and has dragged people in. Sally Wainwright's done a lot for women in drama. Because I think that actually women are more collegiate, is that the word I'm looking for? Women bring other people yeah. along with them. Sisterhood. Women repay the favour. Women don't see other women necessarily. Women don't see other women as competition in the way that men see other men. I disagree on that. Some do, to be fair. Some. But no, I think you're right. I, I think because society that. tells them to rather yeah. than it's an intrinsic yeah. thing in them. Yeah. But like, yeah, so when I've done with the sports freelancing stuff that I've done, I've met like two women. <laughs> there's never any other women yeah. but like all of the women that I've worked with we've thought of other things we could do together like other yeah. ways we could work together and things like that that in fairness never come up but, uh, but we have lots of ideas yeah what do you think of being a minority group you're like well competition isn't going to help any of us let's just like bring more of us to this table yeah because there's only like, three of us yeah. and let's just ask why 51% of the population is a minority yeah, <laughs> yeah it yes. that but I think if you were to ask me what was my favourite part of my job is I get to talk to incredible women all of the time and they are forever opening my eyes to injustices that maybe I haven't spotted intersectionally or just in general because I don't move in those circles but also ways of sorting them out and that is inspiring pretty much every woman that we speak to I come away feeling fired up that there is a positive change being made or ready to be made and that's pretty it's Okay, well, I would actually agree with what you said, which is know what you want to do before you decide to embark on it, and particularly before you decide to buy certain kit for it because it could be that for what you're doing you could do it cheaper than what you might run out or buy or it could be for what you're doing maybe it's worth investing in a really decent mic it, you know think about where you're going to be interviewing people or if it's an interview or if it's just you in your bedroom and decide what you want to do before you, you invest any money I would say um I would add to that I think my top tip would be know what you want to say and why are you worth 
listening to? Like, what is it about you that makes what you have to say interesting? I don't know if there's that much more to add, really. I think have faith in yourself. And if there's something that when you listen back, it annoys you, like possibly almost not being able to say your S's or your R's, just get the fuck over yourself as well. If you're confident that what you're saying is something that people want to listen to, they're not going to pick up on the stuff that you pick up on. But yeah, my favourite part is talking to other people and doing the interviews. So if that's something that you're interested in doing from podcasts, what I'd say is, as much as you can, leave yourself out of it. Your guest is the most important person in the room when you're doing that interview. Okay, so we are doing another show in November. We've got two shows in November. The first one is um, one that Mickey just told you about. The second one is we do exclusively interview women except for the week of International Men's Day. Uh, inequality affects uh, men as much as it affects women. So we, we do some uh, interviews around that and we do a live show with men on the stage with us. And this year's show is November the 18th. It's at King's International Place. Men's Day Eve. Eve. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Because um, last year it was on International Men's Day Boxing Day. Um, and uh, our guests are um, Craig Parkinson, who we've already talked about, Nish Kumar, and Joe Lysett. What a lineup! Yeah. Incredible lineup. And you can find our details for that show, indeed all of our live shows, at www.standardissuepodcast.com. And we are. <laughs> .com. Uh, not .com. Come on, you girls. Uh, and we are at Standard Issue UK on Twitter. And we're at Standard Issue Podcast on Instagram. Please follow us on Instagram. That would be really helpful. Cool. Can I just point out that I think I said .com because I'm in an old sex there? Possibly. It's not .spunk. Yeah. .spunk. Yeah. .issues. Oh. Time to stop. <laughs> Sorry. Can we came to a climax? So it was a really fun episode to record in such a great space at the Boulevard Theatre. Thanks again to Emma Green. And uh, yeah, make sure that you check out the live shows. Standard Issue, 10th of November. Freelance Pod, 17th of November. You can find more details and tickets on both shows at the Boulevard Theatre website. And it would just be great to see if you're coming along. Like, do shout out on our social media. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts and why not tell a friend too? This helps our community grow and that enables me to keep making Freelance Pods.